For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. I'm Tim. And I'm Marshall. Here's a little behind the scenes. Mm. For about the last year, uh, early on, the first couple of years, yeah. we were always two or three weeks ahead. We were pretty good with that. We were so good with that. Mm. Had ourselves a cushion, something came up, we had space. It's not been that way for a year. It is not. For a year, it's been fighting to keep our head above water. We wrote out a, a podcast plan. Mm-hmm. For the Bible. Looks like it's going to be four podcasts. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the benefit of that is that it gives us an opportunity to just, in our time, hit on bang, 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 mm-hmm. multiples in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is our third one in two days. It is. And we might do another one if we've got time later today. We might just. It'll give us the cushion we need. It's true. Uh, which always makes for this weird situation where people come up and they're like, hey, that thing that you said this week, and I'm like... And you're like, did you're I? You're gonna know? have to remind me. <laughs> yeah. Lindsay asked me about that the other day, and it's true, right? We have. I still have people coming up and wanting to talk about history podcasts. Oh, yeah. I love doing it. Oh yeah. But sometimes I'm like, you're gonna have to remind me. And they're like, you know, they, they'll drop the person by name. When you're talking about so and so, I'm like, you know, I got to be honest with you, I don't know this off the top of my head, <laughs> especially when it comes to like ancient church fathers. And you're gonna have to, I'm gonna have to look that one up again. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we're <laughs> still talking about the Bible. Last episode, mm-hmm. two hours ago, we talked about uh, the Old Testament, the reliability of the canon of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk about the reliability of the canon of the New Testament. Here's the interesting thing. The argument is always, over time, reliability becomes more questionable. Hmm. Interestingly enough, I would say the reliability of New Testament is more complicated than Old Testament. Yes. Yeah, I would say so. And part of that is the tradition with which it was kept. Mm-hmm. So you, we mentioned the gathering of the the Jewish scholars in order to translate the Septuagint, the, the rigor with which they were overseen. You can do that when you have a central head of the religious order and those who are under them. Right. You can establish that kind of standard. What's going on in the churches is different. Mm. These are independent churches grabbing what they can. And so it comes out a little bit different, but I think in the end we'll say no less sound. Yeah, yeah. That's where that's where we're heading, but yeah. Yeah, you just got the context is different, right? Like the Jews even though they were a minority community in these various places, they were a protected community mm-hmm. and a respected community and could and could go about their work of translation or copying openly. Yeah. Whereas at certain times in early church history, depending on who was the emperor and how nice the particular governor was, like this had to be done in secret. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit of a wild west situation, at least at first. Uh, But nonetheless, you're right. God is kind of faithful in in guiding the process Mm -hmm. through through that. Yeah. So we do this differently. Sometimes Mm. recently... I've kind of led the walkthrough. Sometimes you've led the walkthrough. We didn't talk about it this time. We didn't. <laughs> I got notes to lead the walkthrough unless you want to lead the walkthrough. Well, 
What were you going to talk about first, Tim? I was going to talk about some of the major comatches. Okay. For the uh, the the credibility of the New Testament. Okay. Those who would oppose it. I was going to talk about defending the authorship of the New Testament books. The yeah, my, mine's under that okay. umbrella. Yeah, so right, go cool. ahead. Go All ahead. Right. You lead, and I'll just okay. sprinkle my stuff on top <laughs> okay. whenever I that's, got that chance. Spice. The Tim sauce. There you go. Um, okay, so we understand now that there are four Gospels, mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yep. And we mentioned also, we mentioned um, a couple episodes back now about all these other kind of fake Gospels that had mm-hmm. cropped up. And for the most part, they're all written like at least a century later than than the original Gospels. Um, essentially, all four of the true Gospels were written within a lifetime. I would say personally, I think within like 30 to 40 years of Jesus' crucifixion, like relatively yeah. soon after. Right. And so... That's actually my very first thing. Well, there you go. The time of the authorship. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. one of the big things that people want to put out is they want to say these things were written, some will say hundreds of years later. Yeah. There's absolutely no leg to stand on there. No, there's not. Uh, because within a hundred years, we have people widely spread. We're talking coast to coast, mm-hmm. as if that happens in Asia and Europe, but <coughs> everywhere. Mm-hmm. Talking about the Bible, yeah, and and the various books of the Bible, yeah, it's nonsense to date these things hundreds of years old. Oh yeah, right. Uh, but some will say a hundred years, right? I I was watching Bart Ehrman. Okay. Bart Ehrman is a, a really fascinating name in New Testament studies. Bart Ehrman was a Christian New Testament scholar. He got a pebble in his shoe somewhere along the way, and now he has completely flipped and decided that all of his work of defending the Scripture is going to come at the Scripture in Christianity. Okay. Uh, So Bart Ehrman is a wildly famous name in this arena because he is a champion for those who would want to disprove Christianity based on its text. Interesting. Right, Bart Ehrman. I, I'm watching this video on him, and his his number one thing is uh, the gap between when these events took place and when they're written about is unbelievably large and so prone to disruption. And so his point is to say this: we believe that the Gospels were written as much as 40 years after Jesus's crucifixion. 40 years, as if this is like centuries. <laughs> and then he's like, granted, Paul wrote about the crucifixion within 20 years. Right. But that's still two decades. Mm-hmm. That's like 20 years is liter- a literal nothing. Mm-hmm. It's literally nothing when yeah. it comes to relaying these, these things. For sure. Right? And Paul, in his letters to Corinth, quotes the Gospel of Mark. <laughs> which means the gospel of Mark is circulating. Right, right. Right? And so and so this notion of of this huge gap in time mm-hmm. is such a pain one Ehrman speaking nonsense to call this a huge gap. Yeah. But even people who call it a huge gap mm-hmm. are missing out on some real problems in this. Oh, for right? sure. Here's my list of 
the problems that I see is the biggest thing. Nobody talks about Nero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how do you address the history of Christianity without talking about Nero and the Colosseum? Right. Yep. And this is in the first century. Yep. This is within 50 years of the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Less than even. Right. So how on earth do you talk about these things? The only talk that we have about them is the anticipation of them coming. Right. Yeah. 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 Same with the, the fall of Jerusalem. Right. In AD 70, right? Like you have Jesus prophetically speaking about it, mm-hmm. but you don't have any kind of active commentary, which is why personally, I think the whole New Testament was written before AD 70. Oh, 100%. Right. <laughs> if Jesus is going to say these things will take place and they have already taken place, the persecution has taken place, the destruction of the temple has taken place. The purpose of the Gospels was to prove to the Jewish community that Jesus was the Christ and the Messiah. Hmm. What greater proof would you have in the first century than to say, Jesus said not a stone would remain on top of, its, of another, and that's exactly what happened. Hmm. Why would Matthew, of all people, why would Matthew not talk about this? Right. He just says what Jesus says. He doesn't, he doesn't put it in, and this was fulfilled, as we all know, a few years ago. You know? mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so the fact that it's, it's very soon after. It, it's bizarre. It would be bizarre. Mm-hmm. Luke alone, I didn't know this until today, Luke alone has more than 80 details that have been confirmed by archaeology. Wow. Fascinating. Very detailed. His purpose in Acts is to say, this is the story of the church. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't talk about any of these things. Other things that are missing. The martyrdom of Paul. Mm-hmm. Acts ends with Paul in prison. Right. The martyrdom of Peter. Mm-hmm. This is the rock on whom God is building the church. Mm-hmm. How do you not talk about the death of Peter? Right. All the apostles end up being martyred, but... Paul and Peter specifically, you mm-hmm. have to talk about these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 then, like I said, people people are more willing to date Paul early mm-hmm. than some of the Gospels, but Paul quotes from the Gospels. Yeah, the Gospels are early. Well, and the reason doesn't make sense. The reason they are is because they're essentially all based on eyewitness accounts. Right. Right. Like new, some of the New Testament authors claim to be eyewitnesses. Right. Uh, John essentially does. Yeah. Uh, like Matthew and John, obviously, are both disciples. They're of the 12. The, right. So I'm just going to interrupt you. This was a maddening thing from his video. He goes, we know the Gospels as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? Because it would be weird to just call them Sam, Sam Bob, Greg, and whatever. Like, he's just throwing out random names. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, these were added later by editors, and there's they were written anonymously. Like, John is very clear Mm-hmm. to identify himself mm-hmm. in his letter. Yeah. These things were always received. Yeah. As, as he's it, at this point he's just what he's doing is he's saying I understand that this is the claim. But if that weren't true, it would help my cause. <laughs> so it's not true. Right, right. Which is which is just he's he's better than that. That's yeah. just one of those things where you're going to say you are a brilliant man. Mm-hmm. You're better than that. Yeah. So you have Matthew and John that are both 
definitely eyewitnesses. You have mm-hmm. Luke, who admittedly is not an eyewitness, but he begins his gospel by explicitly saying that I'm writing all of this based on eyewitness testimony. Right. I'm doing investigative journalism and compiling the stories by interviewing people. Like he get like for example, Luke gives more details about the birth of Jesus potentially because he actually met with Mary. Mm-hmm. Potentially, like we we don't you know we don't have the, the you know the date on his calendar of when that happened, but but so that's what that is. Mark, you're like okay, well, what about Mark? Mark wasn't one of the twelve. Well, from very early on, like one of the earliest church fathers, Papias, who would like probably knew some of the apostles, he says that the Gospel of Mark was dictated by Peter. So Mark yeah. is Peter's version that he just Mark was the guy who wrote it down while Peter kind of like told him what happened. So and and Mark is there. Yeah. He's a kid. Mm. John Mark from the Bible. Yeah. There's, there's in this, the early church, yeah. There's this brilliant moment in Mark's scene of the arrest of Jesus, mm. where there's this, what I believe to be a biographical insertion, Okay, where he talks about a boy who was there with them, and the soldier grabs him by the tunic, mm. and he squirms away, but the tunic gets ripped off of him, and he runs home naked. Okay. <laughs> which most people believe That's is Mark. Mark writing in, like, this is Paul's, or Peter's story. I'm yeah. giving you Peter's story. Yeah. I was there. This this thing happened. <laughs> That's interesting. And no one else noticed, but That's I'm going to insert this, and, and people yeah. believe it to be, because him and his mom both are mentioned uh, in Scripture mm-hmm. as being a part of the early church. Yeah. So, yeah, it he is relaying Peter's message, mm-hmm. but he's there. Yeah. Yeah, and the apostles in general, like, they're going to rely on their first-hand experience with Jesus as part of the basis of their authority, mm-hmm. right? Like, Absolutely. And so, and that's just kind of, like, confirmed. And the, the Gospels just read that way, mm-hmm. is read, read like it's the kind of thing that is coming from a trustworthy and reliable source. This is what happened. This is what it is. Um, and just not, not, like, something that would have been written... A century or two or two later, right? Because there are all of these unnecessary affirmations. Like, if for what they're trying to do, there's a lot of unnecessary detail mm-hmm. in the Gospels. I mostly I'm going to be referring to this book by Peter Williams. I think we both have this one. I lent mine to somebody. Yeah, it's called "Can We Trust the Gospels?" Mm-hmm. Um, but some some really interesting things in here that are unnecessary geographical, even climate mm. details mm-hmm. uh, about the weather of the location and stuff. You just, like, if you're later on trying to do this, why? Right. There's right. there's use of local slang, mm-hmm. right? Um, just a couple of things from the book. Sure. I don't want to take over the whole thing. Right. This just gets me excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does what he calls the test of geography, 26 different towns are mentioned, uh, 13 different regions within those towns, five different bodies of water, and seven other random places, Mm. right? So there's a broad range of locations, uh, and no gospel writer gains all of his knowledge from another gospel. In other words, there's a unique place mentioned. Mm from the region, even if it's just a garden, in all four, mm. right? So no one is just completely saying, well, obviously, there, you've not added anything to the conversation. 
this is just a ripoff. So, so these things have really intimate knowledge. So for instance, we know that Jesus's prayer before his arrest takes place in a garden, right? Mm-hmm. The garden of Gethsemane, mm-hmm. right? Well, where is this? Mount of Olives. Mm-hmm. No one else talks about the Garden of Gethsemane. What does Gethsemane mean? It means an oil press, right? So this is a completely inconspicuous thing. Like it, It's not a place that people are like, oh yeah, that famous thing, right? It's just where the oil press was there at the Mount of Olives. That's where they were praying, mm. right? Just this unnecessary detail that mm-hmm. you're going to to throw back to that someone later on either wouldn't have reason to bring it up because it would be too minute of a detail sure. or, or would not even know that it would exist. Right. Right? I'm pretty sure that forest, like the the garden and the trees there, I remember reading this, um, that they were, they were destroyed during the Roman um, conquest. So mm-hmm. those trees were cut down and used to, to be turned into siege engines, towers, ladders, that sort of thing. And so that like, again, someone 100 years later, there would there'd be no... There would be no place like that to to point to. I think there are trees there now. They've replanted them, but mm-hmm. at the time this hypothetically was written, there wouldn't have been anything there. Right, and so when uh, and another thing that they have, so there are a lot of false gospels. We'll talk about them later. Mm-hmm. One of the tests is: Are these things there? Do they show an intimate knowledge? Mm-hmm. In the same way that the other gospels will talk about roads that were traveled to connect two places. Right, right. right? They like that. They also like names of people, mm-hmm. right, in, in some very specific ways. And, and I never really thought about this as an apology for an eyewitness. But think about how many times we have multiple people with the same name. Mm. If you were fabricating something, you wouldn't be like, let's just have two Peters <laughs> or three Peters. Or like five like, Johns. <laughs> let's have two. Let's have two Phillips. One in the Gospels who never really gets mentioned, right? And then one who pops up in Acts, right? And they're not the same people. Let's just have three Marys, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't do that. Mm. It doesn't make sense to do that. On the flip side, Jesus is a profoundly common name for the time. Mm-hmm. Gospel authors identify him: Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, son of Mary the Galilean Jesus, right? They take the time to identify him so that people know which Jesus they're talking about. Right. Within a hundred years, the name Jesus, and because we have Roman birth records, right? Within a hundred years, the name of Jesus almost disappears. It goes from being like the most common name mm. to nearly disappearing because if you're a Christian, you would never name your kid Jesus because it's just too holy. Right. If you're a Jew, naming him Jesus would be to name him after someone known to be amongst the greatest traitors and blasphemers right. of your faith. It's the same with Adolf. Right. Profoundly common German name in the middle of the 20th century, not used so much anymore in the 1950s <laughs> and since. Right? right. And so and so in that same sort of concept when people write about him later, they don't identify him. Mm. Jesus as a name has just come to be this primary person of Jesus, mm. where someone more connected to the time 
uh, would have seen that differently. Hmm. I thought that was a really That's cool. interesting argument. Um, one more. Uh, we'll do that when we get into false gospels. Yeah, okay. we'll come back. I just yeah, no. a couple of things that I thought yeah were really interesting as eyewitness details. Yeah. Well, and you also have you have early church leaders who are going to be quoting scripture in their own writings. Mm-hmm. Um. So, in order to argue that the Gospels were actually written much later, then you also have to take all these letters of these early church fathers who are quoting the scriptures, and then you got to push them further ahead in history as well, right? So, mm-hmm. suddenly you have to have this like massive paradigm shift, and you have to just take take everything we've known about who is who lived when and where, and just shove it ahead by a century or something. Like, it's just... it's. Yeah. For example, Irenaeus mm-hmm. in 185. So we're talking roughly at most 115 years after what we would argue to be the completion of all of the New Testament works. Mm-hmm. Irenaeus in 185 uses the term the four Gospels. Mm-hmm. Right? Not only to say they have been written, mm-hmm. but the other Gospels have been rejected. Mm-hmm. And these are the four that stand, and calls them the four Gospels in such a way as to expect his readers would know what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, Right? That they are the four Gospels. So he's not teaching a concept, he's referring to a known concept. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Which means they were written, circulated, compiled, agreed upon. And Irenaeus, if I'm not mistaken, is Irenaeus of Lyon, Mm -hmm. which is in France. So it just also tells you the what like how widespread this consensus was that someone on the other side of the Roman Empire was recognizing this, right? right. From which, where these from where these books were written, right? which in and of itself is going to take decades. Sure, right. Yeah. These people aren't writing online and instantly sharing their thoughts. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the most significant, the most significant attestation to the dating of the early dating of the uh, the Gospels and other uh, the rest of the New Testament is comes actually from the manuscript evidence, mm-hmm. right? So, okay, so we don't have the original autographs. We don't have the original copies that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote. Um, we have manuscripts. We have copies. But, like, that is normal. It is yep. normal to not have the originals of an ancient text. What isn't normal is how early some of these manuscripts are right? compared to other ancient texts. So just going to rapid fire a few examples here. So the writings of Plato, who wrote you know around 400 to 350 BC, we don't have anything, we don't have any manuscripts of his writings that are dated before the year 900. So there's a 1,200-year gap. That's incredible. Yet, college textbooks are happy to include the writings of Plato. Sure. And don't question that this is what he wrote. And there might be a footnote saying like, hey, look, you know, we don't have the, like, whatever. But but not really, though. Like, generally, when people talk, they say Plato wrote, Plato said, Plato did. Mm-hmm. You know, this was Plato's view. And they just assume that it wasn't touched for 1,200 years. Right. Um, Julius Caesar. So Caesar wrote extensively, especially about his campaigns. And it's actually really vivid stuff. Like, it's really interesting. Caesar was a, Julius Caesar was a good author. Um, so he wrote about his campaigns up until his death in 44 BC. 
We don't have anything, any copies of that writing until around the same time, 900 AD. So about a thousand year gap. People don't question, people, people, I've listened to historical podcasts and when they talk about the battles that Caesar fought in, they talk about them as though they for sure happened the way that you mm-hmm. described them, right? Like, and again, there's a thousand year gap. That Something a little bit better is the Roman historian Pliny the Younger, who wrote around the year 100 AD, so shortly after the New Testament was written, so same kind of era, no manuscripts at all until 850. So still a 750 year gap. Mm-hmm. Okay. And these aren't like, these aren't unimportant authors. Like these were guys that people were reading, contemporaries were reading right. and copying and circulating yeah. and being referenced. So th- these things are floating around, but we don't have any. And interestingly enough, people not being persecuted by the Roman government, people being elevated by the Roman government. Yeah. Oh, people yeah. People being published and promoted. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Now, the New Testament was written, I would argue, between 50 and 70 AD. Mm-hmm. Some people might push it ahead to 90. I don't I don't agree, but for some of the reasons we already mentioned. But we have manuscripts that are less than 100 years separated from the originals. Right. So fragments just Yeah. The next best thing is 750 years. And we got fragments, so not we're not talking like a whole New Testament Bible mm-hmm. or anything like that, but we we've got fragments of, you know, copies of bits of John and other another uh, books of the Bible. The earliest is a just a torn page mm-hmm. from Mark, right? Yeah, or I think John. Is it John? Yeah, okay. P fifty two. There's a few of them. There's a hand. There's a handful of them. They've all got these special number identifications of where they're found and what number, and all this. But like, there are there are a handful that are from probably like the first half of the second century, so between one hundred and one fifty. Um, and then once you get past that date, then the number of of um, manuscripts explodes and there's thousands, right? So we only have, again, so when we're talking about that, the, the thousand year gap for guys like Plato and Caesar, even with that in mind, we only have a handful of manuscripts, 10, 20, maybe right. if you're lucky, depending on the piece of work, there mm-hmm. are thousands upon thousands of new Testament manuscripts. Again, not, not whole new testaments, but letters or whole, like either parts of a letter or the whole thing, multiple books together, or eventually the whole New Testament, something like 24,000 manuscripts written in not just Greek, but in other languages. Mm-hmm. They translated them to some other languages uh, early on Syriac and, and a couple others. Um, all of them written far closer to the original than these manuscripts that we have for Plato, Caesar, Pliny. Yeah, so, so when it comes down to the standard with which people want to hold this, mm-hmm. the the standard that they want to give, and this just goes back to that Bart Ehrman thing, right? Mm. Like the standard of 20 years is too far mm-hmm. is nonsense. Yeah. When you're talking about 2,000-year-old documents, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It, the other thing I would point to that is that's written, that's not discussed. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. so come on, dude, mm-hmm. right? Uh. Yeah, so there's this there's this unwarranted uh, filter, yeah. yeah, the standard that they that they want to hold. Um, another one that I I would point toward is com- is affirmation within the community, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. The the gospels and the epistles, you know what all all of them, the gospels, the epistles, acts as a history. Spend so much time talking about people by name who were alive at the time 
that it would have been easy for someone to go, yeah, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't there, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, they said that you were there. No, I wasn't, mm-hmm. right? That might mean less to you today mm-hmm. because you're like, well, how do I know that this person actually existed, mm-hmm. right? I, again, I think I'd point back to what we said in the last episode. When it's widely accepted, the burden of proof is on the person who's trying to change the narrative, mm-hmm. right? But when when these people are writing to each other saying, this letter is going to be sent with so-and-so, receive them. Mm-hmm. Tell so-and-so I said hi, right? To fabricate this later on. Right. And send it to would be like, <laughs> nobody knows who these people are. And it also becomes pointless, right? Like, right. if you were if you were going to write something, you're going to be like, I'm going to forge an ancient document. You wouldn't be like, and tell Clesius I said hello. Right, right. What point is there? Don't, in that? don't forget to bring my books and my and my coat. I left it there last time. Like, right. It doesn't. <laughs> it becomes this useless ad thrown in there, but it's full of that. Sure. Yeah. And even even calling out public officials. Yeah. The, the leaders of the Jewish community, mm-hmm. which is all accurate as far as the time, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Roman officials calling them out, mm-hmm. there's lots of space not only for those officials to say, I'm being wrongly accused, mm-hmm. but for historians of the time to say there's a void of history mm-hmm. talking about these things that the Christians are wanting to talk about. Oh, but yeah, that's but, not true. Yeah, well, keep in mind, like, the the Roman world was very bureaucratic, um, and and they were much better record keepers than people would after the fall of the Roman Empire. Like people took a solid step back in the Western world in their ability to to keep records for like mm-hmm. over a thousand years. Right, right. So like while while it wasn't quite at the level we we have today, like it would have been very very easy. For someone to be like, no, this is made up because it doesn't line up with who this governor was supposed to be or, you know, what was going on in this city or, you know, at the time, right? Right. And But even even Rome's own historians mm-hmm. talk about Jesus mm-hmm. as a person, mm-hmm. talk about the, the Christians, mm-hmm. talk about the fact that they believe that he was crucified, which they verify mm-hmm. he was crucified under mm-hmm. Pontius Pilate. Mm-hmm. It talks about the belief in his resurrection, mm-hmm. right? All of these things are are confirmed by Roman historians describing the followers of Christ. Yeah, Josephus wrote it, again, like, t- before the end of the first century. Right. So, like, and he was a Jew. He wasn't a Christian, but he confirmed that, like, this was a thing. This is what they believed. This was, this was a legitimate movement in in that part of the world at that time. Right. And so, yeah. So to, to think that like this story was just people just kind of like concocted some story a hundred or 200 years after Jesus was supposed to have lived. It's just nonsense. I can't, that, that idea just can't be true. Right. The last one that I have, and this is something that we want to just sort of tiptoe into because it's going to become something stronger later Mm. when we're talking about, is there reason to believe the teachings of the Bible? Mm-hmm. Right now we're focusing on the book itself. Mm-hmm. The last argument that people will throw out is just that these guys got together and decided they were going to make a thing and just make some stuff up, right? One, the stories are too exact. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's so much agreement 
in in the theology of it all, mm-hmm. uh, even though they're not writing all together in the same room, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. The other thing is, what do they have to gain? Yeah, no one gains anything out of this. Right, they all get killed for it. Mm-hmm. And at no point is there any Christian record of someone saying that person apostatized or that person who wrote these things in order to save his own throat mm-hmm. said, "Nah, let me blow the whistle mm-hmm. if it'll if it'll save me." Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's, there's, it's, there's no. There's, in fact. Paul gave up everything for this. He lost everything. Mm-hmm. And it, ultimately, they all did, but there's a highlight on the amount of loss that Paul took. And, mm-hmm. and Luke, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Very respected people in their communities that lost that respect. There was, there was no carnal gain for them in fabricating a story. Yeah, it's hard enough to, to have a group of people keep a secret when they're benefiting from it, mm-hmm. right? But but the, the idea that all these people, because it's more than even just the apostles and the disciples, because it, it goes right. beyond that. It's all these other right. people that are involved and tied up in this too. We're talking like hundreds of people, right? And and uh, and to insinuate that they just like collectively decided to make something up and then just stood by this fabrication to their deaths, Mm-hmm. Right or or when they were abandoned by their families or they lost their livelihoods or they were chased out of town and and they it's just it's absurd to think yeah. that that this is some kind of fabrication and interestingly enough it's not just that they don't gain it's that they never attempt to gain mm, true right yeah. there's there's nothing in their writings that say I mean even when Paul says I'm an apostle you should listen to me mm-hmm. right these other people who would call themselves the super apostles whatever. That's stupid. Look at my status. Look at my credentials. Mm-hmm. Even when Paul does that, he follows it up with, so lay everything you are aside yeah. and follow Christ. There is no foundation except for Christ. Yeah, his resume for being an apostle includes all the times that he was like beaten and imprisoned. and tri- <laughs> Like that was the resume. Right. Right? That was the apostolic resume. It's like, how many times you've been whipped? How many mm-hmm. times you've been thrown in jail? Right? How many times have people try to kill you? Like... So it's just it's just be a really dumb thing to just make up and and lose everything for. Yeah, so so for me all of the everything we've talked about in this first half hour just solidifies that these were genuinely written books mm-hmm. within the first 70 years of the 1st century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I I don't know how else you could deny that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, no, I would agree. Yeah, and and so that's all well and good, but now people, the next kind of major thing, so if people, if you, you know, if you kind of answer the, well, they were written much later question, the next big question I think that often comes up is, well, what about all the differences? We must have the same notes because... I'm tracking with you. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So what about all these differences, right? There's there's more differences in the manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament, don't you mm, know? That hurts. Which sounds devastating. It sounds does. scary. And it's technically true. Oh no. Yeah. But we have to we have to remember the con we have to remember what it is we're talking about here. Right. We're talking about tens of thousands of manuscripts. And they're not talking about there are thousands of differences when you compare one 
you know, a version of Mark they found in, in Egypt versus a version of Mark they found in mm-hmm. Antioch. No, what they're saying is like, if you count up all the potential differences, right. right, between all the potential documents, look at all the differences there are, right? right? In the in the tens of thousands of manuscripts mm-hmm. total, there are a sum total of thousands of differences. Right. That's the point. Yeah. So right. it's really... Like when you when you think of it that way, and and here's the thing. So the the oh, sorry. Go. This is one of those things that always gets the clickbaity. What the church doesn't want you to know. Oh yeah. Except all that the church scholars write about this all the time. Yeah, and if you actually dig into it, it's actually just going to affirm your confidence in scripture more because because right. are these differences significant? That's the, that's the most important question. It is. Like right. What so, is the difference? Yeah, what are the differences? Um, the overwhelming majority are uh, spelling differences. Mm-hmm. Some of the guys who were copying the text were probably shouldn't have been because they were terrible spellers. <laughs> yeah. Not all of them, but there, there are examples where they can literally look, you can literally look at a, at a guy's, at someone's version of it and be like, oh, this guy just has bad spelling, right? It'd be right. like if you asked, anyways, just, you know, you're... Me, if you asked me to... <laughs> to- Write something that was being dictated. Right. And people would be like, oh, he spelled this word wrong, or these letters are flipped. Every time. He spelled yeah. it wrong every time. That's what they would say to me. So it's it's mostly spelling differences. Uh, there's or punctuation Punctuation. A missing punctuation. Yeah. Word order sometimes. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Um, and and that's, where, that's where I say the method between the New and the Old Testament mm-hmm. is the difference maker, right? Yeah, for because sure. Because we talked last time about the system. There's a... There's a governing body that is making sure there is a system carried out. Mm-hmm. The New Testament church running for their lives mm-hmm. are like, Paul wrote something to Rome. Yeah. Quick, get it down. We, we want it. Yeah. We want it. And so I'm I'm in Corinth. I want to know what's going on. What did Paul say to you in Rome? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bring the letters that I have so that you can have some copies and while I'm there, do you mind if I copy down that one that you've got and I can take it back to Corinth with me, mm-hmm. right? We, we, this is not hypothetical. We know that these things are happening, mm-hmm. right? So under cover of darkness, because literally you don't want to become a streetlight because Christians are being yeah, hung in the streets as torches to light the way. They're writing these things down and passing them on. And did they make a mistake? Yeah, I, I missed a comma. And this, and people want to take that and go, there's a discrepancy. How can it be the word of God and have discrepancies like a missing comma out of the however many thousands of words were correctly copied? Right, right. Right. And and like, we don't mean to make like, I think we should talk about some of the more significant differences. We will. Um, So this isn't to make a lot, just to say, like, this is. Statistically, like ninety-eight percent. Oh yeah, of the problem. Oh yeah, that people want to talk about is mm-hmm. just a missing comma, a missing yep. period, a, a capitalization in one place that wasn't in another, mm-hmm. of spelling error, those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. So I, the first, um, I guess, significant grouping of differences is something uh, pietistic expansion. Yeah. So that is something that you can kind of trace through the history of manuscripts, because if you get enough of these manuscripts, you can kind of see where something pops in. So, mm-hmm. so by pietistic expansion, like what we're talking about is 
somebody who comes across the name of Jesus mm-hmm. when he's copying a letter of Paul and it's just like, no, it's got to be Lord Jesus. Right. I, I, I can't bring myself to talk about my Savior mm-hmm. in the same way I talk about the baker. Right. Right? There has to be some reverence there. Mm-hmm. And so the piety, the worship, and the expansion, making it bigger. Mm-hmm. Right? If you've got KJV-only friends and they want to come at you with the whole, like, we'll talk about schools of source texts mm-hmm. in this episode, but when they want to come at you with, like, they've removed the word Lord from in front of Jesus. Yeah. It's a removal of a what we know to be an expansion based on piety right. that wasn't in the original document. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's that. And so that's something to make. And and what you get sometimes is you get, you know, you get kind of notes in the margins or kind of like a side comment that somehow gets either written in mm-hmm. or written in the margins and then it works its way in. You can kind of watch it over time happen. So the kinds of things we're talking about in this category are, are going to be like relatively small. Like it's not a critical yeah. issue if it's Jesus or Lord Jesus. Right. Right? Like because yeah. el- elsewhere it's very clear that Jesus is Lord. Right. So so it's not it's not like that they're introducing a brand new idea and concept. It's just in that moment that scribe decided it was okay to 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 make that move. And probably with a good conscience, mm-hmm. not realizing that it was gonna be used as um, ammunition against the authority of that very text that they're copying, right? right. But yeah. it's just we, we just yeah we we like we do things differently now. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the best example of this is in First John, mm. yeah. right, where it talks about there are three that give witness, mm-hmm. and then it's like the water and like these ambiguous kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, First John five, I think. Yeah, yeah. So so then the King James version will have. And three witnesses in heaven, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? KJV only ears will say this is missing from all modern translations because they're trying to unteach the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Although the formula of the Trinity still exists in Matthew, baptizing mm-hmm. in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yeah. every other allusion to the Trinity exists. The reason it's not in modern translations can be tracked through the documents where we have that as a side note. Guy's copying the Bible, he sees this three witnesses, and in the margin he writes, you know what, there are also three witnesses in heaven, mm-hmm. the Trinity, right? He just writes it in the side notes. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you can pick up later texts from the same kind of place and find that other people are writing this in the margin. Ooh, that's good, like a study Bible kind of thing, mm. right? And then all of a sudden, instead of writing the margin, someone literally writes it in the space between the lines. Mm. Right, and then eventually people are like, "Well, was this a something that he left out and was just like inserting it here because he didn't mm. have space to go back in?" And it comes in, all the way back to the writing of the Vulgate. Okay, there is a conversation about whether or not this exists, mm. and I'm I'm shooting from the hip now. Eusebius of Caesarea writes the Vulgate, right? Jerome. Jerome. What's the one who starts with an E? Who writes a Latin text? No, Jerome. Jerome, Jerome is the one okay. who, who... Yeah, he does the Vulgate, because that's Latin. Yeah. Right. But there's another Latin text that comes later. Oh, okay. Sorry. Anyway, anyway, these, these have discussions to say, 
I don't believe this is part of the text. It doesn't seem to be. Mm. But it's in here consistently enough. I'm going to throw it in. Mm-hmm. Right? When they're writing their Greek texts. Right. Right? And so we can literally, because we're not ignoring this, right. although people <laughs> would like to say the church, what the church doesn't want you to know. Yeah, and now we're going into like painstaking because detail to explain it to our people. Right, because we're, we're <laughs> hypervigilant about this, and, and the opposite is actually true. Right. Uh, we can go back, and, and we have created a mm. pathway where we can, we can study this, and we can show you over mm. the centuries how mm. this happened and why it came out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's that simple, mm-hmm. right? But that's a, a great example because that's a piastic expansion that's actually a phrase. Right. And, and where you might find in your modern Bible, um, the numbering jumps. Right. When you're doing your verses, there's one missing. And yeah. That yeah, can trip people up sometimes. The original said the spirit, the water, and the blood are the yeah. three witnesses, right? And so, yeah. So then somebody obviously was just like, yeah, but you know what would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> Where was John on this one? <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. So the there 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 is one other kind of more major one mm-hmm. um, that needs to be addressed, and this is there's a, there's a handful of there's not a whole lot of them. There's a, there's a there's a couple where there's an entire section mm-hmm. that when we look at the oldest manuscripts, we don't see. And so it seems like there's a couple stories that at some point have been inserted. Mm-hmm. It might have been like a word of mouth thing that someone's like, oh, well, we should probably put this in here too. Um, and it, this might make a couple people sad if you don't already know this because I know for some people it's a very near and dear story to their heart. But the most important one is probably the story of the woman caught in adultery, mm-hmm. right? Where Jesus says, you know, let he use without sin, cast the first stone, write something in the sand, there's all the speculation about what he wrote in the sand. There really needs to be speculation about who wrote this story about what he wrote in the sand because right. it's not in the earliest manuscripts, right? And so typically in an ESV or NIV, what it'll have is it might have it, but then it'll have like a note saying, this is not in the earliest manuscripts. Right. So the origins of this story. what the church doesn't want you to know. Yeah, they print in their Bibles <laughs> so is, that you can definitely see it. Right, so that you can decide for yourself. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, that, the end of Mark. The end of Mark is, is the other another bit. one. Yeah, there's a bit at the yeah. end of Mark. That's, that's another significant one. Those are kind of the big two, I think. So this is probably a good time to talk about schools of tradition because yeah. that's, that's where the change happens. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. two basic schools of text, Mm -hmm. the Byzantine Mm -hmm. and the Alexandrian. What's the difference? Climate. Exactly. Yeah. One is, Egypt is drier. Mm -hmm. So you don't get the same degree of deterioration, which is why essentially all of the oldest fragments of the manuscripts we have, the vast majority of them come from Egypt. Right. Um, or the Middle East in general, mm-hmm. right? I guess technically, uh, no, Byzantium's not Middle East. Anyway, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, but a difference in climate, right? So, so you, so oftentimes what you have from Egypt, what is preserved there, or the Alexandrian school, um, is going to be older, right? Just so, because it lasts longer. But the Byzantine mm-hmm. stayed Christian longer. They did. And developed major Christian centers. Yes. 
Yeah. Huge monasteries, mm-hmm. major churches, where the Bible was written over and copied over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. The majority of the texts are from the Byzantine school. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, were thought to be just the texts. Right. And as we've talked about ad nauseum at this point, it's not until Napoleon that we really start digging in the sandbox. Mm -hmm. When we do, we find older texts. Mm -hmm. There's fewer of them, but they are much, much older. Mm -hmm. And with the exception of spelling and punctuation although they are five and 600, 700 years older, mm-hmm. they're the same. Yeah, yeah. With the exception of this end of Mark and the story of the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. Those are the big question marks. Yeah. Right? And so the, the argument is that those got injected somewhere along the way in the Byzantium school. Mm-hmm. Probably that they were a part of Christian tradition that just someone felt needed to be there. They were a prolific copier, and it made its way in. Right. But when we find those exact same texts in the sand, preserved, Mm -hmm. written centuries before, everything adds up except for those parts. Yeah. And so the church is not hiding this. It's printed in your Bible. Mm Mm-hmm. Not everybody has this section. Yeah. The older text, so that's where the, the argument comes down to, do you trust the majority or the oldest? Mm-hmm. Most scholars say the oldest, mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter how many times you copy a thing incorrectly, you're going to have more. That doesn't make it yeah. more, authoritar- more authoritative. Mm-hmm. The older is the more authoritative. Right. But, the, but modern translations give you both. Yeah. They're being open about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things, so they, they discovered something called the Codex um, Sinaiticus, mm-hmm. uh, which is the oldest entire New Testament, like the whole thing written in the early 300s. And they found it in a monastery in the Sinai Peninsula. And this was only like a couple hundred years ago. So the reason why the, like the, the King James, the 1611 King James, like it's not that the, the translators of the King James were doing anything wrong. They mm-hmm. were just using the best that they have. Right. But now that these, these, you know, dis, you know, discrepancies have come to light. Now it's this, now it's, it's turned into this whole thing, but right. Um, and, and I would say this, the takeaway from this is there's nothing at the end of Mark, the long form end of Mark. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the story of the woman at the well or it's not the woman at the well. Or, the, not the woman at the well. The woman caught in adultery. Yeah. Got to get that right. Yep. That change our perspective of Jesus, mm-hmm. of the plan of God, the person of God, or man's role within the plan of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, none of the discrepancies out of the thousands that want to be claimed, none of them have any bearing on New Testament theology. Yeah. So, so although the discrepancy might be punctuation, mm-hmm. or in this case, an entire story, mm-hmm. the discrepancy has nothing to do with understanding of God or worship of God. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, the end of Mark, essentially, is like, includes the Great Commission. And so, it's, the question is like, 
did someone who had math access to Matthew be like, surely Mark wanted this in there too. You know what I mean? So right. it's, again, it's not even what is added is is not it's not changing any doctrine, any teaching, any core faith of of the church. Like mm-hmm. none of the discrepancies actually change the message or or what we believe, right? Like that's the that's the thing that people need to understand. Right. Um, clearly, right? And what we have, in fact, in within all of these manuscripts and manuscript traditions is something that is just ridiculously consistent. Right. And it's not hasn't been perfectly preserved and copied because it's people doing it. But what we have is like just something that is miraculously consistent and right. miraculously and, preserved. And and I think it's important then to go back to the challenge against it. Because mm-hmm. I, I think even with this statement, even as much as we're trying to say, it's incredible how accurate these things are, mm-hmm. right? The question is, how can I know that the text that I have mm. is the text that was written and originally inspired by God? Mm. That I am, the, the purpose of the question is, from the outside, from the challenger, how can you know that you're believing correctly? Right. So then, grammar is not the question on the table. Right. The question on the table is theology yep. and the narrative. Those things are perfectly intact. So if we want to do a study on textual divergencies based on what really is the question, the answer is no, there are no divergent texts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. None of the manuscripts are divergent. Mm-hmm. The answer is zero, mm-hmm. right? If you want to change the standard from how do you know that you are believing correctly mm-hmm. to how do you know that Christians have a superhuman capacity in copying texts, <laughs> then we can have a conversation sure. about all of these shifts mm-hmm. and changes. But mm-hmm. that's, not the, that's not the question. That's not the point behind the question. Right? Mm-hmm. Can we know? Of course we can know. Why? Because we have tens of thousands of these manuscripts that go all the way back to the first century, and they all agree. Yeah. And and I think, and this is something that exists, you know, in our church's statement of faith and, and in most statements of faith, and even like more Reformed confessions, like the statement is that they were like, they were perfect, infallible, without error, as they were originally given. Mm-hmm. And so we can come to our modern translations. We can trust them, and we're going to talk more about that because um, they are trustworthy, but with, a, a, with a, a dash of humility to say, well, what was, what was given initially is that infallible, flawless, not, not a, no missing commas. Like it's, mm-hmm. It was what it was supposed to be, um, and we know that what, what has been passed down to us is for all intents and purposes, essentially that, although we also recognize that human weakness has, has caused minor errors that don't change anything meaningful. Right. Right. And then, and then just lastly, to wrap this up, the canonization mm-hmm. of all of these texts, yeah, putting them together and calling them the New Testament, mm-hmm. uh, are there other claims for Gospels out there? Oh, yeah. Of course there are. They're right? wacky. Uh, <laughs> They're wacky. Yeah. <laughs> Gospel of Mary, for instance. Mm-hmm. The, the issue is that 
the tests that we would say bring credibility to the books that we've talked about so far in this episode, those books didn't pass that test, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Amongst even the earliest of Christians. Yep. The Gospel of Mary doesn't even tell you which Mary wrote it. Right. It has no reason, or it, it has no specificity. It just assumes that you know which Mary this is talking about. Again, like Jesus, the most common name mm-hmm. in the Hebrew community at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one in that time would just throw out the name Mary and assume you knew who they were talking about. Mm. Much later, they would. Sure. Right? Uh, some some of the other issues, um, Jesus is not defined in the same way that Mary's not defined in some of these mm. apocryphal texts. It's just mm-hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Whereas even the apostles are like, we need to define which Jesus we're talking about because there's one on every corner. Right. Right? Um, so those kinds of things... The number of places that are mentioned, those unnecessary details that just sort of give the color of, I was there, and I witnessed it, and this is going to help you, who are also a contemporary, place this in your mind, Mm. right? Because if I was going to talk about my trip to shoppers, you're a contemporary with me in the same town, you're going to be like, hold on, hold on, are we on Huron or Ontario Street? Right, Right, right? So I'm going to throw that detail in. Because mm-hmm. that matters. It doesn't matter to my family, right, in Arkansas. Yeah. They're not here. They're not a part of this. A hundred years from now, nobody cares. I can just say the pharmacy, mm-hmm. and they don't care, right? right? All of these details that matter to a group of people within a very short window of time. Mm-hmm. They're present in the books that we have. They're absent in the books that we reject. Yeah, yeah. Also... The discrepancies, there are theological discrepancies. Mm-hmm. There are mm-hmm. things that don't harmonize with all of the rest of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. In a way that Paul says, if anyone comes at you with another gospel, mm-hmm. anything different, even if it's me or an angel, mm-hmm. different than what you've already heard, reject it. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. Right? So all of the nonsense that people want to throw out of like the discovery of a secret that the church has been hiding all of these years, the another of book, Judas or something. Yeah. Right. Which does exist actually. Interestingly. They're, not, they're not secrets. I just want to know when he wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> read, I haven't done too much. I've read the gospel of Thomas. I've read some of this stuff. I haven't read the gospel. of read, Judas. Yeah, The gospel of Thomas isn't even a narrative. No. Right. It reads more like the book of Proverbs. Yeah. It's just, a, just as quip after quip. Yeah. And it's like Jesus it, top hundred quotes. With a few that he didn't actually say thrown in. <laughs> right. That's all it is. And, and the whole point of the Gospels was to tell the story. Yeah, that's what a Gospel was, yeah. I mean, that's what the, the, the genre was. It was a it was biographical, right. yeah. Right, and there's no biography in the Gospel yeah. of Thomas. Yeah, no, and there's no, and there's no like, again, keep in mind, like, people in the early church weren't dumb, like, and they knew, there were there were traditions, like, the, the, the leaders in the early church, like, had either known the Apostles or had been discipled by people who were discipled by them. Mm-hmm. Like there was a relatively, it'd be like an older person from our church now, like talking about a pastor that used to serve here. And so like, I wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't here necessarily, but like we can confirm certain details about who they were and what they maybe did or didn't do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not. So you, what that does is it just kind of, if there's something out of left field that shows up, people are like, what is this connected to? Where did this come from? Right. Who's seen this? Is, it, is anyone anyone familiar with this? Like, did, was anyone reading this? Like, did anyone who was you know 
who knew the apostles? Were they familiar with this? And there was like, nope, nope, nope. Okay, well then it's garbage. It's Gnostic nonsense. And yeah, and and that we would come at it differently now is so much the practice of generational arrogance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, and arrogance from separation. Because what we're talking about is a people who are entirely removed and safely privileged to believe or not believe, with very little earthly consequence. Yes. The early church was defending these works at the peril of their life, not just the authors, but even those who were teaching them Mm. and promoting them for the first couple hundred years afterward, Mm -hmm. who were transporting them at the peril of their life, right? Mm -hmm. These people aren't just going to take anything and be like, oh, you want me to risk my life taking that letter to another church? Right. Well, what's in that letter? Where did it come from? <laughs> right. Who wrote this thing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. There's you're gonna ask serious questions. Oh yeah. Right. It it mean it meant more to them than it does to us. Yeah, for sure. And and in fact, I think that we are in a place where we can flip basically everything that people want to come against and say, this is my problem with the reliability of the New Testament. I think everything they come at us with can just be turned back to them and say, no, it's actually a positive. Mm -hmm. Right? You want to talk about the date of when these were written? I don't think you want to go there, Mm -hmm. because you're going to lose this one, and it's going to turn out in my favor. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about the familiarity of the authors with the situation that they were in? Mm -hmm. I don't think you want to go there. Because this is so explicitly written, mm-hmm. you're going to lose this one, right? You want to talk about the harmonization or, or the, the discrepancies within the text? Okay, you come at me with a big number, but let's talk about what your number means. Right. Right? Because at best, your number's two. Right. From tens of thousands, your number's two. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And if you want to count all the grammar things, that's on you. Yeah, that's just being ridiculous right that's applying that's applying a standard to aid your argument by answering the question you're not asking Mm. right that might be confusing so let me unpack it the question you're asking is do you believe this to be true based on what Mm -hmm. and then your answer is some of the people who copied this had bad grammar Right? Like they're they're two different things. Yeah, for sure. And and so you're gonna throw the number out there without identifying the number because that plays to your favor. Mm-hmm. But once you've opened that door and once we really look at it, you're like, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have brought that up. Mm-hmm. I, I think every one of the comments looking through Bart Ehrman's video, he had a number of reasons he distrust the validity of the New Testament. And in every one of them I was just like, you know better than this. Mm-hmm. Like you're opening a door that you're going to wish was closed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it turns out it was like, so the video itself, there's a guy, it shows the guy sitting at a table, like taking notes as Barterman is talking. I'm like, oh, this is a debate, mm-hmm. right? Video shuts off before the other guy gets to speak, right? And you're like, <laughs> Interesting. Because you're trying to throw smoke and not answer questions. Yep. Anything else you want to throw in? No, I'm good, man. All right. Next week is it going to be, I think, one of the most practical uh, things that we we're going to talk about mm. in this early bit, we're going to talk about modern translations, mm-hmm. how we got them. So so far we've talked about 
what it means for us to have the Bible at this point, mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to throw out, yeah, but there are so many versions of the Bible, even so many English versions of the Bible. Mm-hmm. There has to be huge discrepancies. They don't even agree. We're going to talk about English Bible translations, uh, the variety of them, mm-hmm. why they're different, mm-hmm. uh, which ones we recommend, which ones we use. Mm-hmm and a couple to stay away from. Yep. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada. It's produced by Alex Walker. See you later.